Hi, my name is David Hershkovitz. I'm the founder of Paper Magazine, and this is Light Culture. Listen, learn, and stay ahead of the curve as I knock heads with cultural disruptors of the past, present, and future. Light Culture is brought to you by Burb, the Vancouver-based cannabis brand. Whatever you think of the feeding frenzy around cannabis, there's no denying that it's created a lane of opportunity for a diverse group of cannapreneurs. They range from the relatively clueless, who view weed as little more than a packaged good commodity to be sold like beer and pretzels, to social equity beneficiaries who have been screwed by the war on drugs, to those somewhere in between, smokers who have a history with the plant and want to turn their passion into a business. That's where Alex Todd, my guest today, comes in. Better known as a celebrity jeweler to clients like Jay-Z, Rihanna, and Kevin Hart, He's the co-founder of Saucy Farms and Extracts, where he's feeling his way into a business which is very much of a moving target as rules and regs wind their way from local to state to national approval. Welcome, Alex Todd. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Appreciate it. So you heard my introduction and, uh, you know, I, I placed you in this space kind of as, you know, uh, one of the options of the people who are getting into this game today. Was I accurate in that in my assessment of the overall industry at this time? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're you're pretty dead on. There's a lot of uh, a lot of different sectors and a lot of different types of varieties of people in here. Some people here to make a buck. Some people trying to change the world. More, some people trying to help the kids on the medical side. Some people trying to, uh, like you said, help the incarcerated. Try to do do right by them for all the billions and hundreds of millions corporate America is trying to make in this industry. So you have a, a wide range of people involved in this in this space, and I think I'm probably somewhere that fits in right in between them all. Yeah, because you want it all. You want you want the money and the social equity and the passion and health Absolutely. and wellness. Absolutely. You're a believer in the plant. Yeah, exactly. I'm a big believer in the plant. I'm a big believer that there's a lot of money to be made in this industry. I'm a big believer that there are repar- reparations that are due to people that have been, you know, incarcerated for a plant while we ourselves are out here trying to make money. I believe that there's a lot of medical benefits to the plant. So to me, I'm just the true believer of of all the passions that you just mentioned and hope, hoping that I can make a dent in uh, in this big marketplace somehow. When you jumped into the pool from your previous life and possibly still involved in the jewelry game as well, you can tell me if you are or not. But when you jumped into it, did you have any idea that it was going to be what it is now? And do you feel like you were a bit naive? And is it kind of necessary to be naive sometimes to go into a space that's uh, full of doubt and confusion? I think I was definitely very naive. I thought that this would this this uh, industry would be a lot easier than what it actually turned turned into and turned into quite a challenging uh quite a challenging land landscape to kind of navigate to be quite honest with you um obviously with all the regulations 
uh, not having access to capital uh, as easy as other businesses, not being able to deposit your money into banks, obviously, like other businesses, always having uh, somewhat of a black eye in really the business world in general. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult landscape to navigate. And it's just, uh, I thought, you know, when getting into this space, it was more of a passion project. I thought, hey, we're going to invest some money. We're going to all get rich in a couple of years. Yeah. This sounds very easy. And um, it just, you know, was the complete opposite. And just from growing the plant uh, with, you know, my brother being, you know, being one of the head cultivators in a business that he that he started, you know, a couple of years ago, I you, you see the difficulty of, of actually growing the plant and actually producing on a large scale and everything that goes into, you know, after production and sales and the marketing and the taxes and, you know, all the employees that you didn't think you were gonna need, but you the farm needs and just security aspects and just, you know, just in general to be honest with you, we, we came into the space with, uh, n- obviously not enough knowledge and know-how and it's, it's a learning curve and we paid a price to learn. And, um, at this point we're probably like between, you know, all the endeavors and just being involved in this space, we're probably like close to five years in, um, you know, we're still learning every day and it's still, you know, still a process and we still have problems with the, you know, financing and capital markets and who to partner with and the ways to get into this industry. You know, as you probably know, uh, it's a very, very cost, cost, uh, very expensive to get into this space. And that's why the majority of the people that try to get in will either, you know, fall on their face and uh, if they're not properly funded or, you know, very few, it's like making the MBA will be successful. But your approach is to have a fully uh, vertical integrated business, right? So you didn't just decide to be one aspect, a grower or a a distributor or a seller. You want to be all of that. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, our goal end goal is depending on what state, because like I said, it's very expensive to be vertical. Yeah, I mean, to have a grow and to have a manufacturing and to have a distribution and to have a a storefront retail, which is you know, it's very very expensive. You need tons, yeah. of, you need tons and tons of money. And if you're not you know properly funded for it, you're gonna fail. And um, it's impossible most in most cases to even start unless you're properly funded. I mean, to to build a grow that's that can provide a sufficient amount of product for yourself to be successful in this business, you know, you're talking about at least a five to $10 million investment. And and that's just in a, depending on what state you're in, you know, some states might be more and very rarely, if you're looking to grow indoor product, just build outs in general and lights and canopies and just putting up walls and do me and, you know, just the uh, air conditions, you know, these are the millions of million dollar, million dollar investments. 
And these are fixed costs in some respects, whereas we're, as we're moving into the more recreational New York on the verge of opening, uh, marketing has become such a big number potentially as well, because, you know, for most businesses, that's one of the biggest expenses that there is. So, and that could be anything practically. Exactly. And, and that's why I think, you know, one of the, the reasons that we have really been even somewhat successful with getting our brand out there is because of our partnerships with, with Rock Nation and some of our partnerships and just my relationships prior, prior to this business. So I think that is, uh, I think that is very, very, very uh, been successful for us and doing that for us. So just my relationships that I had in the past, uh, they helped, they helped me obtain some marketing that would be very, very expensive for other brands and it happened to not cost us as much because of my relationships and friendships with uh, some people that helped us out and are able to, to post on Instagram and to, you know, use our products and some, you know, placements and videos and just use, you know, just um, and just organically really just, you know, enjoying our products and going out there and purchasing them. And we've been really lucky with that where other companies might have to spend, you know, several millions of dollars on that. We were lucky to get some of that stuff for for free. And, you know, just more organic. But like you said, yeah, marketing is going to eventually be a huge, huge, huge part of of the budget for Saucy as well. Well, let's name some names. So one of your partner in Rock Nation is Jim Jones, right? Who was a, a part of Rock Nation. Is he still involved with Rock Nation? I'm not sure. Yeah, but, yeah. but mm -hmm. He's still managed there, I believe, as well. Yeah, yeah he's but yeah, he's a part owner of the brand as well. And uh, he's been, you know, pivotal for us and he's been, you know, really on the front lines and pushing the product, pushing the brand and pushing us forward as much as he could videos and, uh, you know, obviously social media. And we got a couple, you know, different things that we have planned in the next several months with some NFT stuff and just like trying to really stay forward thinking in this industry and try to really uh, stay with uh, what people are in tuned with at the moment and what people are looking for. And I think uh, Jim's always been a forward thinker when it comes to music. He's always been a forward thinker when it comes to fashion. You know, he's known for having some of the, you know, best, uh, uh, like simulate, you know, I don't know how, what, what you would call it in the weed world, but just having a good taste for weed and knowing what a good, <laughs> knowing what good weed is and what good, what yeah. good bad weed is. And, you know, just being a, a connoisseur, I guess, of, of the plant. So he's been really helpful, integral for us. And I think, uh, you know, uh, it, it's been, it's been a fun ride working with him. And this is just, like I said, we're just, you know, really in the first inning of this business in our eyes. So, you know, it was, a long, long way to go uh, to to get to the point that we're all trying to get Saucy to be. But one of the big players in this game and also hip hop game, Jay-Z, is Rock Nation as well. And I know he has been involved in your brand, at least in terms of distribution, right? So you have made a distribution deal, which is very similar to the record industry in some respects, isn't it? Where a lot of the money actually comes from the distribution side of the business, trying to get the product into the stores for which there is no real formula at this point. You have to really have an expensive team, you know, a sales team. You have to really build an organization that can go out and get the product into the hundreds or thousands of, of places eventually. 
Yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, I think Jay's been a close friend of mine now for quite some time, you know, beyond business and, you know, just being able to, you know, reach out to him and ask for advice and just, uh, and just, you know, steel sharpen steel, you know, so we definitely look at each other's brands and, you know, see how I can give him some advice. He can give me some advice and, you know, hopefully together, uh, as peers in, you know, in this industry working together, you know, with his distribution network and, uh, you know, doing whatever we could to help each other, you know, and, uh, I think it's, it's, you know, being involved with anything that Jay does is a blessing because the man has a pretty good, uh, batting average. So I'm very fortunate to be able to work with him on all different types of ventures. And I'm looking forward to see what we're able to do together in the cannabis space. It's funny also as well, and because you partner with Jay-Z and your partner in Saucy is Jim Jones, and they have had a beef in the past that has been well publicized. I'm not actually saying anything people can't find on their own if they want to see that. And also, uh, Jim Jones has, um, you know, he, he likes to stir things up, right? He's had something with ASAP Mob, with Azealia Banks. So how much of this is just part of like PR going on that, you know, people understand that this entertainment and that they have to keep themselves out in the, in the news to, to keep, you know, everything going in the well, way. I think people had a lot of, a lot of different people had different incidents in the past and that stuff's over. They've been cool working together for already a couple of years. So I don't think that's, that's even a, a topic of conversation, to be honest with you. Cool. So, you know, Jay-Z was a drug dealer himself as, as he's, uh, wrapped about and it's widely understood. So I was curious about your views on the impact legalization will have on the local weed dealer, who is a very different animals in a way from the drug dealers as depicted in the media. You know, like a lot of times, you know, we, I live in New York. I know you grew up in New York. I don't know where you are now, but a lot of people have, you know, their local guy they go to who manages to put together a selection of, of products so they can buy. And they're obviously not the dangerous drug dealers on the street corners, carrying guns, dealing heavy drugs at the same time. So how do we find a place for them? Because we talk about social equity for people who have been in prison, but at the, here are these people who have actually kept this culture alive, helped create a lot of the brands and, and the seeds that for which a lot of the strains are still grown. So how, what do we do for those people? Is there some way that we can include them in this conversation and in industry? I think it's going to be up to them if they want to get into this industry in the first place. You know, they might be comfortable doing what they're doing and hopefully that they won't have any type of, you know, they built a, a relationships and they built a book of business, as you might call it. And uh, hopefully they don't, they don't want to pay. Maybe they don't want to get into it the legit way and they want to stay the way that they're working and they're comfortable. And that's up to them. If they do, then there'll be opportunities, I'm sure, you know, just like, um, you know, you can find if somebody really wants to get into something, they find the way. Uh, I think that there's going to be plenty of opportunities. I think that a lot of the states are coming up with some really good social equity programs. I think that there's a lot of partnerships to be had because all of these suits in this industry, they're looking for guys that have Rolodexes and looking for guys that have reliable, uh, you know, that, that, are known to have reliable product or have a nose for the product, then I'm sure there's going to be plenty of partnerships to be formed in the future for them, if that's something that they're interested in. 
And and with Saucy, how do you feel with regard to the overall industry? You know, there's all these industry organizations. There are these big brands that are the kind of the big behemoths of the industry that are in the stock market and you know, raising all the money and doing what they do. Do you think of yourself more as an indie brand who's more sort of like trying to keep that vibe going or do you feel more of a part of the industry? I definitely feel like we're an indie, indie, independent type of company that is fighting to eventually get a piece of that pie. Um, But we don't mind doing it the independent route for now. Uh, We're... We're just going to keep our ourselves bootstrapped, you know, organically going out there and trying to figure out how to, you know, build the culture around the brand and keep the quality of the product at a high at a high level. Um, I think that's the really been the most important thing for us from day one is just having a high quality product, having a good reputation for when people try our product that, you know, there's the good word of mouth, as you would say, I think is better than uh, any type of marketing you can ever give or pay for is, uh, is good reviews from people that are, you know, using your product. So I think we're just, you know, our main goal is just to keep going, doing what we're doing and uh, try to figure it out. Eventually we're going to get to a point where we're going to have to raise some money and probably, you know, get into bed with uh, some type of wall street or, um, you know, some type of VCs or some type of, you know, in, some type of institutional capital only because uh, we're fighting in a, in a war right now where people are using tanks and we're kind of uh, using our knives. So it's, it's kind of hard to go against, you know, companies that are spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars on infrastructure and we're just, uh, you know, using our own capital and using very, very small percentages of that, trying to make um, a dent in in the in the market share. I think at some point we're going to have to go and raise some money from the from the markets or from some VCs or, you know, maybe just get some friends and family funds or you know investors, but. I think it just we're at a point where we're fighting against, you know, major institutions and, uh, you know, they're some of them are worth billions of dollars already. Some of them are, you know, for them to go fill out an application in New York and New Jersey application costs just to do it probably the right way to fill out an app will cost probably you a million bucks, you know, on, on the low end. Between lawyers just for the applications, yeah, for the yeah, lawyers and whatnot, yeah, lawyers and you got to tie up some real estate. Hmm. You have to, you know, it, it, they make it very difficult. So you, you've been looking at New York then with anticipation, expectation that uh, that's someplace you're going to be able to do what? I mean, are you going to try to do it all here as well? Yeah. So, yeah, we're definitely looking to get into New York any way possible, shape or form uh, in terms of growing and trying to be fully vertical as, as much as possible here in the state. Because I was, um, you know, listening to some of these shows that people have about what's going to be in New York. And they're saying, you know, for example, if you want to set up a grow in New York, it takes, what, a year to two years just to get the the crop going, right? So, 
Yeah. So how is he, how is it even going to be possible to open these places and fill them up with product? You know, once they finally give the the approval to do so. New York is a good probably two three years away before you seeing us anywhere close to being a a normal recreational market. I mean, just to build out a, a normal grow facility. Besides for the guys that are already in business that already have pretty much a, I would say, uh, a lock on this industry. There's like two or three growers, two or three companies that are, you know, pretty much been here and that are expanding to a point where they're going to be able to have all the market share. It's been like that in New York for quite some time, even on the medical side. So for the first three years, you're going to have maybe two, three guys that are going to control the, the entire market in terms of products. And as people ramp up with probably another two, three years, you know, before you see some real competition and some real, you know, normal pricing in this market and uh, some, you know, variety of, of different, uh, of different growers. And it's going to be a very, very expensive, tedious thing. Even, you know, dispensaries, they'll might be a little bit easier to, to get than cultivation licenses and whatnot, but it's going to be very tedious because, um, you're going to be buying from two or three people and that's it. Yeah. Well, I'm familiar with the Canada program because my sponsors of the show, Burb Cannabis, is based out of Vancouver. And over there, it's very regulated, but it seems fairly civilized at the same time because they kind of limit competition in some ways because you have to buy directly from the government. This is what you have as a national program where you have a list of all whatever's been approved and you can just take, you know, for your store I'm talking about, so that you can pick right. from there and then you have, that's how you can curate a store basically in that respect. But I don't see that happening in the U S at all. No, it's not going to be anything like that here. Um, I think eventually, you know, we're probably like 10, 10 years, if not, if not more. It's too you, far, <laughs> too far to look ahead for me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> 10 years, if not more, uh, before you'll see products being able to ship from like California to New York, in my opinion. Wow. So uh, jewelry as a, you know, some, how you got your, your name right in the game. You, you, you did very well, very successful, managed to, you know, sell your products to the amazing celebrities. And so what is it that you can take from the jewelry business into the cannabis business that you were able to say you learned from jewelry and you think you can do that here as well? I think it just goes back to the quality of a product. When you have a good quality product, cream usually rises to the top. So same thing with in, the, in when I was selling watches and I was curating these uh, collections for some of the most you know successful people in the world. To me, it was all about quality. So I always wanted to deal with you know top four or five brands that I felt were making the best products at the time. And when it came to jewelry, I'd make sure that the diamonds are always the best quality diamonds. It might be a little bit more expensive, but we always went, made sure that the work is meticulous and tried to make sure that the quality was uncomparable to others in the industry. And it's the same thing when it comes to cannabis. You know, we want to make sure that our quality is the best quality cannabis that, you know, we give what the client is looking for, you know, in terms of a whole aesthetic and a whole feel of, you know, presentation wise and, you know, 
just uh, I think a lot when it comes to marketing and just uh, you know marketing. I I think between marketing and just quality of the product, which is go hand in hand with one another for me, I think that's something that really transferred from one space to another. You're not a typical business success story in the way that most people think of it. You know, someone CEO uh, has an MBA from some famous business school. You you didn't do come up that way, right? Absolutely not. I grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up in Brooklyn. I unfortunately didn't make it past high school in terms of education wise. I got a GED um, and my upbringing was uh, more of a, you know, just like learning how to hustle from a young age, watching our parents, you know, come to this country with, you know, basically uh, no money at all and just watching them just grind away and find the way and, it was the same thing with us. And we just, you know, happened to find a way um, in all different types of businesses. I mean, I did pretty much everything to figure out how to get to where I wanted to be or where I eventually got to. It wasn't an easy path. I mean, I sold real estate. I sold, you know, I was in the stock industry. I was, uh, I was uh, selling airplanes and doing charter airplanes and um, you know, I always was into high-end things and uh, it was, you know, what led me to meeting some unbelievable people and we'd grown some unbelievable friendships and somehow now I'm selling joints. But, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I imagine that's not the first time either, right? Uh, that probably was a part of your portfolio along the way. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, I never sold drugs ever growing up. So it was mm-hmm. one of those things, like I was around a lot of people that sold drugs but I was never, I never sold drugs growing up. I had a lot of friends that did, that sold drugs, but it was just not my, uh, it was not my thing. I was never, I was never into selling drugs. I was more of a, a user. If anything, I was uh, buying a lot of weed and I was spending a lot of money with, uh, <laughs> yeah. with, the, weed, with the weed dealers. And, you know, I mean, at a certain point we were spending thousands of dollars a month just buying, you know, sour diesels at a point. I remember I was giving <laughs> one of my friends, you know. That was in the 90s? When yeah, was in, this? The ni- in the 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Early 2000s. And uh, I was uh, literally spending 650, 600 bucks on, for an ounce of sours, which was still to this day, the best weed that I ever smoked. That's right. And that was like the game changer. The sour, actually I had AJ on my podcast, AJ Sour Diesel, who we've become friends since then. He's fantastic. He's told me some great stories. That whole period in New York in the nineties, when they first, the strains were first appearing and and the frenzy that people had about finally getting some good weed in, in New York, because before that it wasn't easy. Yeah, for sure. And I think, honestly speaking, a lot of that had to do with, I, I'm, I'm hoping, with the water here in New York, you know, oh. like how our bagels are superior mm-hmm. to other places and how our pizza <laughs> is superior to other places. I'm hoping to see now when there's more growing activity in New York, I'm excited to see how the quality of the product is because of the water and uh, some of the other things. And I, I suspect a lot of it had to do with the water. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing eventually if, if I'm right. Yeah, you better you can get AJ to come, come to New York and help you set up your grow. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't even know if that plant actually still exists. If there is a, is there a cut even still around? That's I think that's he, if it's if it's if it he has it. If it is, he has it. You know, he, yeah. he's. Yeah, I don't know good. if you've ever met him, but he's. No, I heard a lot about him, obviously, but I never actually met him. You know, because people have seed banks and all kinds yeah, of. Course things of that nature. But uh, FYI, also, just uh, because I've read up on, on you, we're actually neighbors, homeboys, because I grew up in Brighton Beach. Oh, really? And, yeah. And I, I lived at Brighton Beach and then later in Brightwater Towers, which is, uh, from what I understand, not far from you, right? I lived literally a couple of blocks away from there. Yeah. So, you know, I can relate. <laughs> I was born. Uh, I was born across the street from Lincoln High School, but majority when my when my mom went back, and I was living with my grandma. She lived right on Bryan Fifteenth Street. Yeah, so I know well. Yeah, so you know the all the basketball courts in the neighborhood and absolutely. I mean, when but, we were kids, that's all we did is we went to Manhattan Beach or we went Manhattan to Manhattan Beach. PS two twenty five and. Uh, we played basketball. That's where I went to school. I went to school at PS two twenty five and ended up in Lincoln. And it was a, uh, it was definitely fun times at the time. And we didn't know anything else but like to go outside and to play and just to hang out with your friends. And you know, you had to be home for dinner. That was about it. But you know, like go out, no worries. Just sit outside all day. Now you can't get the kids. They're on their iPads all day, and they, they won't think. They're not even thinking about going outside. Yeah, and the parents are nervous anyway. So. So, so tell me how you got from, from that, from there to here, you know, you gave us a little bit of a, of a sketch about that, but how did you get into the jewelry from all of all, you said you were selling real estate, you were doing all these other things that could have been lucrative as well, right? You, yeah, my mom was in the, the jewelry business for the last, you know, 30 years. And, um, it so happened that she ended up giving somebody a, a loan on 47th street, which is diamond district here. And in order for us to kind of, um, make anything out of it, it was a failing business. We came in, me and my brother stepped in. And while we were there on 47th street, we met a couple of people, uh, partnered with some people that were kind of in the jewelry that were pretty well known in the jewelry business. And then from that point on, we established a little partnership and just started hustling jewelry, you know, to be honest with you. And just, uh, got into, like I said, got lucky really with meeting some unbelievable people in the industry and, uh, cars just worked out that way. And so when, when your mom was in the jewelry business, did she bring like diamonds home and show you what, what to look for? Did she school you in any of that gold yeah, or I don't know what? Yeah. I mean, being around it, you kind of learn, you know, what's good, what's bad, GIA, certified stones, knowing the clarity and knowing the quality of certain things and the prices, how much things are trading for. So you kind of just growing up around that, you kind of, you kind of learn and you know your way around it. Plus when you're on the street on 47th street, it's like literally being on wall street for jewelry. So every day prices are up and down, you know, diamonds are getting traded, you know, it's probably more money on that one block than there is in all of America. <laughs> well, you know, don't, don't don't send any more like criminals over there than they already are, man. Yeah, there's, there's enough of them. <laughs> but I imagine you saw Uncut Gems, the yeah, Adam Sandler's. So how, do you, how does that uh, relate to the experience you had there? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's very embellished, but it's, you know, some of those scenes are all guys from, from that block. And, yeah. you know, 
that were made literally, you know, telling that story of what goes on there, the hustle, the bustle, the buying, the selling. Uh, obviously, it's exaggerated with the gambling and everything else in that in that return in that result. But I thought it was a great. I thought it was a good good depiction of what what goes on in Forty Seventh Street. To be honest with you. So no nostalgia for that, wanting to go back and oh, hang. I, 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 get, I get anxiety about that place. Man. Every time I go there, because I still got to go by there and, you know, I, I, with some jewelry stuff, that, you know, when I just go see some people and I go by there, that place is not for me. It's like I'm, 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 I'm over it. I'm very happy to be in a different space in my life and uh, not having to be there, to be honest with you. But New York, you know, has the Smokers Club, the Astor Club, Happy Monkey. I'm sure there's many others I don't know anything about. It's given you and your partner's backgrounds, do you see yourself crossing over into the hospitality side of the business at any time? I think so. I think when it becomes uh, a little bit more regulated, uh, we'll probably dip our toes into something like that. Um, I think that... Uh, you know, when the 4040 club will eventually be able to dispense and sell cannabis, like you could sell marijuana, I think it would be great. You know, I think it'll be a great opportunity. And I think, uh, I think there's a lot of venues I think that are going to be created over the next couple of years in New York that are going to just give really good experiences and really good opportunities, uh, for people to come indulge and enjoy themselves in a, in a, in a fun atmosphere. I think people are going to start to get really creative and I'm excited to see it. Hopefully we can definitely, uh lend our our expertise and and get into that space somehow as well so in in the licensing process now for new york is that one of the areas that people can apply when when the applications actually start moving but you know in the lounge space is that a, something yeah, you want to do as well I think we're going to try to go after as many licenses as we can in New York, to be honest with you. Um, it depends, obviously, on, um, again, how expensive and, you know, depending on our, you know, how what we're doing at the time in terms of financially, because like I said, it's cost very, very expensive to do any of these things. But we're going to try to go after as many as we could in New York. You know, we, I'm from here. I feel like my brand is an offshoot of a New York brand that just couldn't be done here yet. And we're excited to bring our talents, you know, to New York and to really like bring the East coast swag and bring some of the good quality products of the West coast and, uh, you know, and just really blow up in New York because this is our home and this is where we know the most people. And this is where, you know, this is really home base for us. So we're really excited about New York and New Jersey. So what, what makes an East Coast brand? You say Saucy is an East Coast brand, but of course you're selling on the West Coast now because you can't sell on the East Coast. I mean, there is Massachusetts and Vermont, but you know, not major space like New York, for example, or Florida. So uh, what, what makes an East Coast brand in your opinion? I mean, every single person involved in the brand is born and raised from New York. You know, all the partners from my brother to my partner, Paul, and you know, Juan from Rock Nation and, you know, Jim, everyone involved in the brand is born, born bred New Yorkers, like diehard New Yorkers. These like not New Yorkers, but these are like diehard New Yorkers. Like you can't take these guys out of New York. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm one of them, you know, I'm a diehard New Yorker. I bleed New York, you know, even when I just left to California for a couple of years, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to be back, you know, just like, I didn't realize how much of a New Yorker I was until I actually left. And, you know, it's uh, it's in our blood and I just know that it, that's what our brand and 
embezzled, you know, in, in, I don't know what the right, right vocabulary word is, but that's what our brand just, you know, screams and, uh, represents. Yeah, exactly. And, um, we're just excited to have New York, you know, by our side of hopefully, and, you know, supporting us. And, uh, when we get here, we have a feeling like we're just gonna, you know, it's, it's going to be the, it's going to be the home team. You know, when like hip hop was starting up and, and it was a big East coast thing at first. Right. And then the West coast came up with their version of what's going on. And then there was this beef, at least East coast, West coast, who's got the best. It actually ended up being, you know, people were killed possibly because of that or possibly for other reasons, but at least it was, you know, in the media made to be this thing between the East Coast and West Coast. Do you feel that that will come up with cannabis too once we start actually getting our product or even just in the brand, you know, like East Coast weed, West Coast weed? I mean, look, eventually, I'm sure people are always going to say California bud is the best bud, right? Just like New York, diehard New Yorkers are always going to say New York rappers are the best rappers in the world. Now, you can't change their minds about that, no matter what. You could have Kendrick Lamar, who raps probably as good as anybody else. To me, you'll never be able to change my top five. And my top five are all New York guys. It's like I got Jay, I got Biggie, I got Nas, I got Jada Kiss, and I got even Fab. You know, like for me, to me, there's no one that can beat those guys in my mind. Maybe because uh, I'm just, like I said, I'm just, New York is in my in my soul, I guess, you know? And um, it's just, uh, you know, you're probably not going to be able to change California, some California growers' minds that the best weed is going to be grown in California. Uh, eventually, do I think that uh, the quality in New York is or on the East coast will catch up to, to the West coast. I think so. Like, even if you go around now, it's like not my style of rap, but these, this day and age, majority of the raps coming from Atlanta. True. You know, it's not something that I particularly like to listen to maybe per se, but the young kids right now, most of the stuff that they're listening to young demographic is stuff that's coming out of Atlanta. So it's always going to change. Hopefully the New York water is going to be good and uh, we're going to be able to grow some real quality products out here. And eventually, I mean, look, my, you know, we have a pretty big footprint. You know, my family has a pretty big footprint, even in Oregon, you know, like my brother has a big farm over there uh, that produces the saucy. And um, eventually we're hoping that his farm can produce the stuff there for the whole country. For saucy, you know, eventually, yeah, I don't know how many years that will take, but at that point, you're it's just becoming where you're going to be able to grow it for the best possible price, right? I mean, the electricity in New York is going to be a lot more than it will be in Oregon. The employees are probably going to be a lot more in New York than they will be in Oregon. The real estate that is going to be a lot more in New York than it will be in Oregon, and you know just cause cost the product will go down and uh, you want to try to be the most efficient as you can because it's going to be very, very tight. At that point, it's going to be margins are going to be tight and you're just going to have to try to figure out how to grow the best possible wheat for the least amount of money. Yeah, I feel like it's it's super difficult given all of the costs involved, not you know all of what you've already mentioned on top of that taxes and also on the federal level, when it does go national, it's going to be another layer of taxes on top of that. So and the margin keeps going down. 
that's another thing in Oregon. Like, for example, as in in compared to other states, like I think my brother is paying like a a zero zero percent cultivation tax at all. So it's only yeah. it's only on the retail side is the only taxes where where opposed to like California, they're paying one hundred fifty dollars a pound just in cultivation tax. Then there's a distribution tax, and then there's a sales tax, and so their California is just completely besides having the highest real estate and prices in the world and having the electric highest electrical prices in the world they're also having the highest taxation in the world so it's all going to come down to you know finding the right the right place for you to be able to succeed well how how can you compete with the legacy market where they're going to keep and stay in business. They're going to keep getting their product. In some cases in California, people say it's actually better quality than what you could available in many cases and what you can purchase. They're not going to have all these taxes and you know they're going to be evading all of those expenses. So they're going to be selling good wheat for less than everybody else. Uh, you know, it, it seems like a really difficult business to get into because you have to move so much with, you know, given the margin. So your quantity of sales have to be enormous to succeed. Yeah, 100%. I think that it's always going to be a double-edged sword with the, the gray, with the, the illicit market. Uh, I think just because, like you said, tax-wise, the only difference is that a lot of people in this country want to go get a, into a store, pay a little bit of a premium, know that their weed doesn't have fentanyl, know that their weed doesn't have uh, mold, doesn't have uh, different carcinogenics, different uh, pesticides in it. I think that in itself, as, as we're becoming a society that's a lot more health conscious, I think that in itself will, the stores will always have their own demographic of people that will want to go into the store for those reasons all in itself. You've seen what was happening with the vitamin E scandal, with the vapes and people dying from vaping, you know, so you never want, you know, I think you're going to have a large amount of people that don't want to uh, take a chance on buying stuff from your guy when the guy doesn't know really where his product is coming from. And you also don't have, you go to a corner store, you're, you can get your, your whatever, your, your guy, he'll bring you maybe 10, 20 different strains, whatever it is, that's on the good end. But you want to walk in and maybe buy gummies. Maybe you want to buy gel caps. Maybe you want some rubbing cream for your back. My back's been acting up lately. Maybe you want a pre-roll that your guy doesn't have. And when you go into a store, you have a nice variety of all different types of products. Yeah, you're overpaying. You know you're overpaying than what the, you know, but that's what you have to, you know, hopefully provide an environment for people to come into your establishment and be willing to spend a couple extra bucks because they know A, safety is there. B, the quality of the product is going to be there. And C, most important, most importantly, they know that they're not going to end up in a hospital when they uh, when they smoke your stuff. Yeah, good point. So when all is said and done, do you, and you look back, are you, do you have any regrets going into this business? You could have, uh, you know, sort of been pretty set up without any distress that goes with, uh, you know, trying to start something, especially in this industry today. I don't think I regret anything in my life. If anything, 
is just more of a learning experience. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, le- that's good. Yeah, yeah so you're still not, learning, I, you're saying. This is a learning experience and you're going to be absolutely. able to use it somewhere. It's We're just learning in general, this space. Navigating this space is just a learning experience just in general. We're just like every day there's new rules, new regulations. You're constantly trying to keep up with what's new there's always new cultivars and new strains that are popping up that people want. You know, it's just, it's a constant learning experience. Well, gold, also golden so diamonds, golden diamonds have been golden diamonds forever. Yeah. You know, um, so this is a new space for us. It's not something, like I said, I never sold drugs before. I, um, some of my partners, you know, might've dabbled in that industry, you know, earlier, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough space to navigate and we're learning every day and hoping that uh, eventually, though, we're going to turn this into a billion-dollar company. Well, with your premier brand, which uh, I think is a really good place to be in this industry because so much of the product out there is, you know, sort of meh. So if you have that, that's, I I feel like you said earlier, with regard to your jewelry business or whatever quality is is going to win, and obviously you're set up and have good team behind you. Look forward for more from Saucy Farms and Extracts and from Alex Todd to see whatever else you may come up with in the future. Thank you so much for being on my show today. For sure, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Light Culture. You can find us at shopburb.com, Light Culture, or at Light Culture Podcast. Thanks again to Burb. You can follow them at shopburb on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to and review the show. If you would like to get in touch, reach out to me directly at David Reporting. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.